Hello and welcome to Secret Architecture, the process of process. My name is George Stave and I'm the Artistic Director of Stave Dance, an Atlanta-based contemporary dance company, and I'll be your host for this 10-part series. Through dynamic conversations with artists of all kinds from across the country, we're going to explore arts and culture as invisible and benevolent dictators, all while we break ourselves open and ponder the unanswerable. Today's episode, we're going to dive into the idea of appropriation and misappropriation in movement, in teaching, in, well, dance in general. Our guests are extraordinary, and through our conversation, you're going to learn a lot about dancing in your 60s, burning your hair with a hot comb, the nuances of teaching culturally derived forms, and teaching dance to college students. But before we get into all that, what's the word on the street? So what are some things you wish people knew about you before they even approached? Or assumptions that you wouldn't want them to make? Um, I think a huge assumption I wish people would stop because of the color of my skin or how nice my hair looks to them. So a lot of people, like, they'll just come up to me randomly. They'll be like, hey, like, so what are you mixed with? And sometimes I'll, I want to be like, nothing. I'm black, Filipino, and Puerto Rican, but it's always like, why do you assume that I make, like, what what would be wrong with being fully black and having Full nice on. hair and having a lighter skin tone? Like, why do you always assume that that's the thing? Oh, I hate that. I hate when people touch please my don't hair. touch my hair. Like, that's, that's not okay. Like, <laughs> please stay in your boundaries. I don't come over and touch your hair. We so don't six feet. Or, or <laughs> if that's not the first thing, then once you tell them, then they're like, okay, so you're this. And you're like, did you not hear the other exactly. thing I just said I was? <laughs> Thanks for choosing my race for me. <laughs> Literally. I guess I gotta go change everything now. You're telling me what you think I should be. Yeah. <laughs> but okay. <laughs> I'd like to tell you a little bit about my first guest. Her name is Cece Kelly, and she's forged a career that spans multiple dance genres while also crossing multiple industries. From sports to advertising to entertainment and beyond, CC choreographs on exceptionally talented artists, and herself has performed on the MTV stage with people like J-Lo, LL Cool J, and Atlanta's own Ying Yang Twins. Her reputation as a teacher in our city and beyond precedes her, and she's currently a dance professor and a dance student at Historic Spelman College, one of Atlanta's HBCUs. She's teaching in the Department of Dance and Choreography, and at the University of the Arts, Cece is currently working on a master's degree. So clearly she's a force to be reckoned with, and we're thrilled to have her joining us on this journey. My next guest is a multifaceted dance professional whose work and expertise in health and human services has fueled extraordinary outreach in Atlanta, and has no doubt been the catalyst for the way she enters and engages her classrooms. With energy that rivals the sun, Dr. Teresa Howard, with more degrees than should be allowed, teaches West African dance, has performed with the incomparable Chuck Davis African American Dance Ensemble, Manga Dance Ensemble, and Atlanta's very own Gawaiian Mata. And if that's not enough, she's performed for Desmond Tutu. 
Uh, she has a unique balance in her work by blending the arts and providing supportive services to those in need. And she is currently my colleague as an African dance instructor at Emory University. Teresa, it is a thrill having you here as well. Oh, thank you for inviting me. Yeah. I'm so intrigued and so honored and so excited. Oh, groovy, me too. <laughs> so, um, before we get into the subject matter at hand, I just wanted to know, what are you guys up to right now? I have had a wonderful career as a performer in dance and a lover in dance, and I am currently engaging, as you so eloquently said, Oh, George, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> um, I'm transitioning my career into a more dance scholar role. And it's just so beautiful uh, re-engaging the art form um, as a scholar and having such a long time as a performer and, you know, and even looking at it through the eyes of the diaspora. And it's just it's just such an amazing experience. It's a, it, you had mentioned earlier that the value of becoming a student later in life when we're really ready and hungry to absorb these things. So, so true. Like, you know, being 20-something in undergrad, you're fresh out of high school, so you're like, I can dance and I'm invisible and I can just do anything with my body. <laughs> so, you know, you're taking class almost, you know, mechanically because this is what you know you to do. Then you go out and test it in the field as a performer and enjoy it and have a wonderful career. Um, but then to come back to it as a student, I um, mean, especially, you know, looking at it um, and as a graduate student and re-engaging those same classes, there's just such a different appreciation for the art form. Today, I took a Horton class from Kim Beers Bailey um, from Danko at University of the Arts. And wow. I was like, I can't believe I remember all of this stuff. Like, That's I remember incredible. all of the fortifications and it just blew my mind. Amazing. But you say Horton and immediately my back <laughs> clenches up because that my body is not meant for that. But <laughs> yes. Incredible. We still got it, Cece. I've seen videos. <laughs> How about you, Dr. Teresa Howard? What's going uh, on? Well, you know, I have literally taken this time to really engage and connect senior citizens because of that impact of being home alone, the loneliness, depressed mood, not wanting to go out, no socialization. Right. Uh, fear that if family comes or grandchildren come, you know, it may spark, you know, some symptoms of COVID-19. So immediately my daughter, Layla, hooked me up to Zoom. Congratulations. <laughs> and, I mean, we have been Zooming Monday, Wednesday, and Friday with seniors, my dance company, Adele Yegba. I uh, work with them three days a week. Um, and that was at their request. And at the initiation of this, because my concern was we got to invite people to come together. You don't have to move. You can sit in your chair. You can sit in your wheelchair. You can, you know, you can stand up with your, 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 your four-pronged cane. It doesn't matter, you know, but be here with us, you know, engage with us, connect with us, socialize, have fun. Oh, my God. When, the, we, when that was initiated, it brought me to tears. They were like little children. They were so joyful and happy and chatterbox, chatter, 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 nonstop. So just to engage them and to let them see how valuable they are, even if they're at home 
alone. Yeah, and it stitches people together in recognizing that none of us are alone in any of these Absolutely. things, but it's easy to believe that. And uh, you've alluded to, both of you, the joy of Zoom, uh, because you just took a class from Philadelphia, CC, and you're meeting these senior citizens via Zoom. And maybe this is a cheesy way to segue into what we're talking about, but the digital world has allowed opened up the entire universe to us, essentially. So it can be very easy to get uh, caught up in something that maybe is exciting, but it's not ours. We can observe from a distance, but sometimes we want to put it on. Hence, this episode that we're calling Misappropriation, or Hey, That's My Move. So without trying to take the reins too long, what I'm just going to do is just offer a little bit of background, because where dance is concerned, we one of our mothers for a uh, European-centered dance was Isadora Duncan. And later in her career, she's been called out by Atlanta's very own Dr. Richard Long, who gave an Emory uh, a speech or a lecture at Emory a few years ago about Orientalism and what she took away that also did not belong to her. It got me thinking back to the roots of this, and I'll make this really brief, but say somebody goes to Nairobi and picks up a really cool wood carving and puts it in their house. That's that. Then they go to Thailand and learn how to cook a really great chicken, basil, and egg dish. And they cook it beautifully. And their friends are like, ah, this is amazing. And then they go to Bangalore, India, and purchase a sari and start wearing that around. And then they go to Saudi Arabia and grab a CD of music that's on a tabla drum. And then they choreograph a dance to this tabla drum and infuse it with Middle Eastern aesthetics, putting in gestures here and there. And now they've committed cultural appropriation. And so to get started, what is the line between this for you, as opposed to just wearing what is a cool outfit and then putting it on stage for public consumption because you're both steeped in this and that's your livelihood. The the word that's coming to me right now is uh, the research aspect of it. Um, mm-hmm. Getting deep into the reason why a certain dance form or technique or idiom, whatever you want to call it, was created by the culture um, versus just co-opting it and just putting it on stage and saying, okay, I'm now about this. Well, you can't right. really be about this if you don't understand, you know, where it derived from. Um, that's that's the first like thing that comes to my heart to kind of touch on to start this off. Yeah. How about you, Doctor Howard? Think, uh, you're absolutely right, um, Cece. The the research component is critical. How we do the research, where we do the research from. Who are we getting this information from? You know, many of, you know, the the masters, the elders, um, they're ancestors now. So where are we acquiring this information? So the research, which is critical, has to really, really go way back. I personally dance as it relates to ancestors. Mm-hmm. You mentioned... George, the root. Mm-hmm. Well, the root begins with our ancestors, mm-hmm. you know, no matter how that is. Um, so the, the, the research has to go back to places and beyond the village, like in the forest, where mm-hmm. I, as a dancer, therapist, researcher, probably would never be able to go. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? 
I should be able to get that core information, you know, that, that is so critical um, from an indigenous level and an indigenous people, because language is really important. Mm-hmm. Terminology is very important. Mm-hmm. And we're looking at, if I may, you're looking at countries that have gone through colonization. And with the colonization, um, language changed, mm-hmm. names changed, mm-hmm. um, um, styles and forms changed. Mm-hmm. And CC talked about, mentioned the diaspora. So things shifted and changed all through that journey and that passage. But with colonization, language, style, form, descriptions, terminologies shifted. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You you touched on something, and if I'm hearing you correctly, that the value, and I would say this is probably true of like white-centric modern dance, getting the the information ancestrally versus something in a studio. And now you have both taken and brought your work that you've learned diasporically to the stage too. And sometimes the roots of these uh, movements and these forms didn't exist there, I'm guessing, right? They're social. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so how does that sit with you? And um, did is that because of the colonization and the Hollywoodizing of the forms? Oh, yeah. Um, you know, the the colonization of it definitely is a, a direct derivative of um, capital, it, right. it has to be monetized. It has to be able to sell. And where it gets, uh, you know, unfortunately, I guess you could say, for lack of better words, ugly, is when it's mm-hmm. co-opted, but there's no basis underneath it. Um, and not to mention, you know, an implicit bias that can be compounded on top of that, where you don't even think to cognitively um, understand where this came from, to be able to place it on the stage. Um, Just thinking about it, you know, in terms of pop culture and uh, artistry and different things like that, looking at Beyonce's latest work. I am a huge Beyonce fan. I work Uh for her. But, you know, this latest uh, body of work, Black is King, um, it's interesting seeing the conversations um, from Black people and white people not really understanding the imagery that they saw because it was in a pop culture, you know, film and TV uh, medium, Um, but realizing a lot of the um, uh, characters that she was playing were of African ancestry. And Mm -hmm. if you know your research, you would be able to understand where the Orishas are coming from, where Oshan, all of those different things, what they mean. But if you don't have an understanding of that and you're like, it's Beyonce, one a comment that I heard um, at a show I was at, they were like, I just want Beyonce to just be Beyonce again. And I'm like, uh-uh, honey. Well, what does that mean? Beyonce's <laughs> giving me all my ancestral life right now. I need all <laughs> of that. All the smoke she got, give it to me. Because it's beautiful. It's yeah. absolutely gorgeous to see um, our religion, our spirituality celebrated on a platform that way. And, you know, it's also unfortunate to see um, African-American people not understand the message that she's portraying, especially in a medium that way. Like you need to know, you need to know your history. Right. This is not just a cool costume. There is a reason mm-hmm. behind the choices that she made. There's a root. Mm-hmm. And, and along with that is you can align that with the aspect 
of ritual. We all have in our particular cultures, in our particular environments, in our communities, in our families, we all have ritual. And within the context of the ritual, of course, we develop um, ceremonies and and festivities and um, so on. And when I ask my students, you know, about, you know, ritual in their, in their existence, you know, very um, multi-international students, that everyone has a ritual. And my ritual may not be your ritual, but it, when we align it with the art of dance, um, you align, you can, you can, someone that is, is keen at understanding and hearing and seeing can understand and see the ritualistic aspects of modern day dance, of modern day art. It's not a separate entity. As we continued to discuss the sharing of culture, we also reflected upon the ways in which many institutions of higher education are beginning to include diversity, equity, and inclusion training and courses for their students. In an effort to share cultures, we recognize the value of honoring years of tradition and at the same time moving it out of a novel approach to study and into a fundamental aspect of education. So, Cece, uh, given what uh, Teresa was saying, I'm reminded of a passage in a book uh, that David Bales wrote called Art and Fear. And he says, many university art courses, which you're taking a ton of right now, are electives. Their focus and intensity is diluted by non-majors who bring no personal investment to the subject. Can you imagine if calculus were tailored as the fun elective for art majors, the math majors would be like, we're being so diminished. So you now, as a student and a, a scholar, how are you sitting inside of this in sharing this information? Yeah, it's so interesting. And this is such a great question. And it was so like invigorating to hear Dr. Howard describe, you know, her process and where, where all of that is right now, because I truly, truly believe in that. Um, and I am definitely a believer in a proper warm up. Um, having, so having to experience it now as a student, again, on top of being a professor in dance, um, is really, really interesting. I have always had a passion for pedagogy. It's just, that's just my love. Um, mm -hmm. But I definitely did grow up classically trained. And once I left Atlanta and matriculated to my undergrad at University of the Arts, it's most definitely a predominantly um, white institution. Um, absolutely loved everything. And one of the reasons why I chose it was because at that time, it had the strongest jazz dance major in any university setting at that time, because just like Dr. Howard said, usually in any art, dance, art, uh, performance programs, it's usually ballet or modern. Mm -hmm. And they had jazz. And I said, I am jazz. <laughs> uh -huh. That's where I want to go. So it was just beautiful watching that, you know, kind of pull itself all into the same thing. From there, now, um, fast forward years later, um, being a professor at Spelman, where it is predominantly about teaching, um, you know, and empowering the Black woman um, and the African diaspora and different things like that. It's just so interesting to be in a dance major program where that is literally the focus um, and learning um, 
about and discovering these different Black choreographers and different Black pioneers from the Black perspective mm-hmm. and the lens of a Black dancer um, is just so invigorating. And so, like Dr. Howard said, merging those two worlds together is very important because when you're breaking down that syllabus, um, it's, it's just it's just a teaching of it. How you're feeding all of this um, knowledge nuggets at a time. But what I love about teaching at Spelman and having majority of the liberal arts classes focus from the African diaspora is there's, I don't know, it's just, it's like a sense of freedom to be truly honest. It's a sense of freedom to be in the same room of your people where all of the information is surrounded in empowering black dance. Um, Mm. especially when you're talking about ballet. So sometimes I'll teach some of the ballet classes and I am intent on teaching it from a contemporary ballet, um, practice, um, where we merge in more Horton technique or Graham technique or, um, Mm -hmm. definitely Dunham technique, merging in those different things and kind of making this cluster of information and the way that it develops a dancer is just so powerful to me. Having African dance, um, sister Omelica is one of the teachers at Spelman. So just Watching her classes and taking um, Black presence and dance from Dr. Vita Goler and merging all of that into a practice in my uh, Principles of Jazz class is just so invigorating. It's just amazing to watch it that way. Um, And it's a completely different experience when I was at UARTS. But I praise UARTS because it gave me a strong foundation. And then to be able to take that foundation and take it into a predominantly Black space is just is out of this world and just watching the students, um, their ability to connect the dots um, of the different black pioneers and then be able to execute the movements. It's just like, Oh my gosh. And you know, we have our black girl magic moments and all of that stuff. Like, yes, girl, <laughs> work it. <laughs> Supposing somebody like an exceptional white dancer in an African American ensemble company, how do, I mean, is it if you haven't grown up as part of the culture, but embedded yourself, is there a right to some sort of ownership to that? Do you think? Ooh, that's a good one. Well, you know, years ago, Baba Chuck Davis, this was way back in the 70s. This was before this was when I was with the company. This was before he went to North Carolina. Um, he acquired a white female drummer. And of course, this was really? at, this was at a time when the, the, the American men said women don't drum. Of course, we had to research that and find out that women drum all over the world. <laughs> may not be all the drumming, may not be all drums, and may not be all the time, maybe certain, certain drums at certain times, but women do drum. But um, he certainly took on a white female. And of course, Baba Chuck had some awesome, awesome, awesome drummers. There was a lot of dissension initially. She had confidence and she had fortitude and she hung in there. And that was in the 70s. Today, there are tons and tons of white people taking African dance classes all over the universe. This is true. There are Asians, you know, and and white that, that, you know, drummers and, and, and dancers that spend year go back in another year and they study and they train there in the in the motherland they've invested their time their effort their dollars have they brought the ancestors with them in their in their dance style is it within is it a smile within their heart that's dancing 
or are they doing it because I just enjoy doing this and I just want to learn this stuff because it just looks intriguing. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that is out on the table right now as we speak. That's a huge conversation. I'm in discovery of that very question. Um, we, uh, you know, it's been the scholar strike this week. Um, and at Spelman, um, we had a conversation um, about implicit bi- bias. And one of my classes, one of the students brought up this conversation that one of the um, uh, curators was talking about. I, I can't remember, but I know Beverly Guy Sheftal was one of the panelists, Dr. Cynthia Neal Spence, um, and a number of other people. But um, one point that they brought up was, you know, it's hard to be a true ally if you haven't truly rid yourself of implicit bias. Um, and it's those entrenched uh, things in you that society has kind of constructed that you don't even realize that you have a bias against. So, you know, placing um, a white dancer in an African class, not saying that they can't enjoy it, that, you know, they shouldn't partake or anything like that, but are they aware of any implicit bias that they may or may not have? And, is there a ridding process? This is honestly my question, I guess. Is there a ridding process to be able to truly dive into African dance and why it was there? Um, you know, especially once, you know, the diaspora had to make land in this uh, country. Um, it was a part of communication, you know, to keep us safe during slavery and different things like that. So if you, it's almost like if you don't understand that struggle in the blood, how how can you really take on this dance form? Um, I am totally not saying that you can't, but there's a completely different understanding as why, you know, present day, these African dance forms have evolved into social dances. There's a reason right. why these kids do these social dances. There's a reason behind it. It's not just a five, six, seven, eight. It's not even a five, six, seven, eight. It's a groove, feel how I feel. This is what it's going to be. You know, I think that the 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 expressivity of the African dance form, it's, it's vital to be living in the situation because it is, it is about the life. It is about the world. It is, it is about the religion, the religiosity. It, 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 it's about, you know, it's about farming the land, you know, it, 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 it so has, there will always be a missing yeah, layer. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah, it's the experience. It's the passing down the knowledge generation to generation at Big Mama's house. It's the collard greens. It's the it's the chitlins. It's all of that stuff because it's passing down history generation to generation in a kitchen. It's the hot comb against your edges. It's. Uh, <laughs> but that makes sense. It's the smell of something cooking and it's something that can't ever be recreated. Yes. Do you feel like there's maybe uh, too much, too many people claiming fluency? Because there is, there are people who are going to dive in and they're passionately uh, behind an idea and study, study, be in the books, be in the library, look everything up on Google and Wikipedia. Are you encountering this sometimes in academia? And Oh, yeah. <laughs> the, the, for those who can't see, they're vigorously nodding right now. 
<laughs> I am adamant about like my hashtag for my life right now is I am so no- my life is just so non-traditional um, with how I became a professor and all of that stuff. Um, but there's one thing, you know, when you're theory based versus experience based. And I am so incredibly thankful for the years and time I spent in my career, um, you know, once I came out of undergrad, like I went into the field, I did the work and all of that stuff. And then coming back to it um, again, you know, like I said earlier, it's such a great appreciation, but you know, theory is one thing. Theory is taking other people's knowledge and having, you know, conversations about it and di- uh, dissecting it and different things like that. But when you actually have to go out there and create your own narrative, that's a completely different, you know, ball game. That is powerful. And I don't know that I've ever heard it referred to like that mm-hmm. because you're just going to base it on an outsider's point of view exactly. always. Mm-hmm. But going out uh, there and testing the knowledge and, you know, discovering where maybe, you know, something they said maybe was not correct and you find a different way to understand mm-hmm. it and then to be able to teach it, you know, your teaching changes, the way that you engage students change. Um, it's just, it's, it's so awesome to see both, but then to be able to have both worlds um, is truly a privilege. It is. I, I agree. And, you know, there has to be a, a, a huge sense of cultural awareness. There has to be a whole big sense of diversity. And, you know, I've seen professors that were young coming right out of all the paper documentation and (laughs) all the stuff you can frame, (laughs) um, but lacked the experience and got into the classroom and was nervous and fearful and needed help from the colleagues. And I have cases I've seen it. I've been doing this for a long time. I've seen it. And it broke my heart because it is not about me. Professor Howard, it is about my students, all about my students. I am there for them. When it comes to a point, if I'm not there for them, I need to be fired. Get me out of the place. (laughs) I have seen this with professors, but you know what happens? They don't last long. They're in, they can't handle it. They're out because they hadn't, they didn't, they didn't get that wealth of experience. Like Cece is, is explaining they didn't do various things. They weren't diverse in their learning, in their research, in their education, and just, just you know, just infiltrating different peoples and cultures and groups and just going around and learning more so that they could have more to share. It is about the student. And I always, it is about my student. It is not about me. So I have to go there with my experiences. You know, I mean, today... Anybody can look up anything. I mean, we got to go beyond that, like Cece was saying earlier in terms of the research. But today, you know, your student just, you know, just Google it up and bingo, you know, that experience is critical. I don't like to see a professor that is uneasy in front of students because they didn't have the experience because we're getting students that are becoming more experienced than some Mm -hmm. of the professors. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Oh. Oh, my gosh. My students at Emory blow me away. I could never do the stuff that they do right now, ever. Yes. 
wouldn't it be wonderful if the students in the room could take time to appreciate that what you're sharing is something that goes way beyond time and space and it's really precious. And I think the work that the two of you have done has, yes, you've expanded, you've stretched it open to allow others in. And yet like that, in a heartbeat, you can go back to what it truly is at its core. You won't understand what it feels like to be a black woman until you get burnt by a hot comb on your ear. (laughs) (laughs) You know, Beyonce, and I always refer to her, Lord have mercy, but she says in um, Black Parade, she says, F these laid edges, I'm going to let it shrivel up. Like, (laughs) you have to understand that when it rains, we have to cover. Like, it's just understanding all of that stuff is what makes it so rich. So when you come into it of a different race, not saying that you can't appreciate it, but if you don't know what that feels like, I'm just always, you know, questioning if you really can, like, embrace all of it. Well, for me, it's all about sharing my life experience. So when I when I share, I share from the understanding of the human element and the and the person at a point where they are in time and space. I mean, so for me, it is I am so grateful to be able to share and be able to share all my experiences and to understand that, you know, the saying, I am because you are, and you are, therefore I am. I'm so grateful. Of the many superlatives I could attribute to Cece and Teresa, generosity is the first that comes to mind. The joy across their faces, the openness of their hearts to share their histories and their blood memories with their students, with their friends and their peers, with other artists in Atlanta, comes across loud and clear. Interestingly, in terms of timing, Cece had mentioned the idea of struggle being in the blood. And as I concluded uh, my tour of Watchmen or my season of watching Watchmen on Netflix, Lady True had something very similar to say towards the end of the series, which was, legacy isn't in land, it's in blood passed to us from our ancestors and by us to our children. So true and so inspiring to look at the melting pot of the United States and begin recognizing all the separate ingredients as having their own histories, their own profound and beautiful contributions to the fabric of our everyday life is something that I feel like we're being called to action to do, to celebrate, to not dismiss, to not sort of ignore and not to steal from, but to recognize as being a pillar upon which so many diverse new dialects have been created. Before I sign off, I would like to thank the illustrious and talented Jacob Chisenhall for producing this podcast, our super groovy composer, who is my brother and love of disco, Ben Coleman, and the entire team at State Dance. I wish you incredible insights and magical ahas until next week. I'm your host, George Stabe, and this is Secret Architecture, The Process of Process. 